Hello and welcome to Gaming and BS, a tabletop podcast where the B and S stand for Brett and Sean and not what you find at the rodeo. Prepare to be wowed. Take it away, fellas. Welcome to Gaming and BS, a tabletop RPG podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show, folks. Welcome back. Glad everybody's on board. Sean, how the hell are you, man? It's been a while. Doing a couple weeks. Doing fantastic, Brett. How are you? Not too bad. I had some pretty good, damn good gaming since we talked last. I had, damn um, good gaming, he says. Yeah, my buddy um, Alpha ran his Warhammer 4th Edition game, and that was a lot of fun. We're really getting hang of the rules, and uh, so it's flowing faster. It's a lot of fun. Murdering the shit out of a lot of things. It's a good time. Um, and then I had a big um, weekend game here. Um, I ran my World of Darkness uh, modern horror game that went really, really well. And the guys are were talking to me and saying, hey, yeah, it was going good. We're having a good time, blah, blah, blah. Hey, um, kind of what comes next? Which is the, the question they usually ask me when, one, they're bored with something they want to end. Or two, they're like, oh, we, we think we're getting near the end. And in this case, it's definitely the latter. They're getting close to solving or, you know, the big event type of thing. They're, they're getting close to that. And I am drawing a complete flip and blank, man. I like went through my collection of PDF games, print games, everything went, what the hell do I want to run for this, for this group? I don't know. What do I want to do? What's, what sounds good? Well, I could run Simbroom. I want to do that. I run Vason. I want to do that. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know yet. So I'm going to. Gonna start doing some poking and prodding and see what they want to do. I also think since we talked last, uh, my buddy Nick ran his Star Wars game, uh, West End Games D6 style. So Nick Nick does a really good job with that. He is, um, I think, if I put he, you, and uh, Lum Runner in a room, you guys could talk Star Wars for like days. I just like throw beer and food at you and come back <laughs> when you ran out. Wow! <laughs> but he's a big Star Wars guy, so pretty cool. But yeah, that was a ton of fun. That was a lot of fun too. So, had a lot of good gaming lately. I'm trying to put a new floor in my basement, and I'm finding out that the uh, that the towing groove, pergo laminate, hardwood e stuff, <sighs> it's trickier than I was led to believe. A little trickier than I thought. Should have hired Sean because I hear Sean's really good at flooring. So I'm a good um, supervisor and consultant. Are you? I okay. am. I have. You put floors in your house, though. I you have. Done, you, That's I why I'm a good a, consultant, because I don't know if I'd ever want to do it again. <laughs> do it again. <laughs> so, hey, man, how about how about your gaming scene? How you been? Anything cool, new, interesting? What you got? I got to say, Forbidden Lands uh, 1 and 2. And the first one, the Thursday Night Crew has gone through a portal. It's been a month since we played. So we're scheduled to play this Thursday. Something came up, so we have to move it to Friday. But mm. now I have to figure out, like, where does the portal take them? When does the portal take them? And see, right? So, and how does that work? Like, do they close it? And can they walk right back through? Or not? Like, Yeah, how bad? How bad does this mess them up? Right? Do, they change, <laughs> do they change bodies? Right. Could you know, do all sorts yeah. of things could happen. Oh, yeah. it's Freaky Friday, man. It's all over the place. You could totally go Freaky Friday on them. Uh, so we'll see. How about, the other, how about group two? How about group two? Group two, Wednesday nights, um, three players for the last couple sessions. Uh, one has been 
predisposed. Um, they, <laughs> this is the funny thing about those guys. They traveled and traveled and traveled some more. They, well, the second order of traveling. Yes, they, traveling. they got into some trouble. Uh, one guy, uh, Jim's character, got eaten by a wolf while hunting. Um, well, that, that'll, that'll do you. Yeah, it'll, it'll knock you down a few pegs. They healed him, put him on a beach, went to a hex, found, probably not in this order, but found a cave. That was the goblin cave I mentioned probably a couple weeks ago. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember this. So they said, okay, we go back to the place we were and relax. And then we'll figure out what to do with the cave. Well, when they went back to relax, had the goblins steal their food, right? I think that, <laughs> I mentioned that before. So now they have to either find food or deal. Go get the food go back. Go get the food back, right. Yes. So they go to the cave and uh, they end up going to the cave and they go inside and then they have some wolves attack them and the goblins attack them and then they retreat. So they retreat back to where they were and actually, no, they didn't leave the hex. So they retreated outside of the cave, stopped, kind of sat there, regrouped, put a fire in the mouth of the cave just to ensure they kept the goblins inside. And a goblin came and looked at them and pointed at them. And one of the guys cast a spell and scared the shit out of that goblin. Um, but the funny thing is, it's been, th I think it's three sessions in a row that they have. Um, so next session, guess where they start? Outside the goblin cave. Okay. Last, last <laughs> session, where did they start? Outside, Outside the, the goblin, goblin cave. cave. So it's, nice. uh, they are hell bent on dealing with this goblin cave and uh, maybe get their you food know, back. But, uh, although, you know, what's funny here is we, we, we laugh, we kid, but there are so many times when as game masters <laughs> look at the players, they're like, You're, for fuck's sake, one of you just pick a goddamn direction. And these folks are maniacally attacking a problem. That's pretty, that's pretty fucking cool, man. I mean, seriously. I mean, they could just be like. They could be just like, do 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 low goal, no aim, and just trying to mess with the Sean. But no, they're like, nope, we found it. We found a thing. We're going to pick this until it bleeds. We're going in. I like it. But I this like is it. why I think you don't. Like, if I prepped, right? Like, okay, I'm going to prep this hex, this hex, this hex. They'll probably go this way. It's a hex. They got to go in one of these six ways. Okay. Well, if you overprepped, right? If you were yeah. like, well, I'm going to make sure that I have this. I know they're going here, so I will have this fully developed thing. And then they choose to go way over there to fuck whatever. Right. You know, yeah, wait for them to pick something that's interesting and then develop as needed. I right. like it. Right. Yeah. So that's. Uh, I'm that's... really glad you're coming around to this because this is the thing I've been doing for a long time, man. And I, I love it. And I think it makes. And the reason I say I love it is because it makes my game master life easier. Yeah. It just, it totally does. That type of approach. Yeah. So anyway, sorry, interrupted you. Yeah, no, that's, that's kind of it. So we will see where all this goes next. So the next session cool. is going to be, I think session five, maybe. So I told them it was going to be four to six. So their journey through the Forbidden Lands and, and um, Forbidden Lands, the game may come it might be the last session. I always said four to six, and it's not going any longer, uh, you know, than <clears throat> that for sure. Like they could be in the middle of a battle, and it's like, well, thanks guys for playing. To be continued. Oh, that one didn't pick us up. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, we could always keep your characters. You never know. Never know. So, 
Interesting. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> excuse me. Neither you nor I made Gary Con this year. I saw some photos, Tim Deshane and some other friends of the show. Um, uh, Jen Brinkman was there. Bob was there. A number of other folks, I think. Um, Carprio was there and a number of other really cool folks that are just great people. Um, miss you guys. Wish we could have been there. It's always a damn good time when we are there. But, uh, yeah, I just wasn't able to make it this year. Sean couldn't pull it off. And uh, I'm just short on vacation time after dealing with my parents and such, getting that sorted out. I pretty much lost a month practically. So, actually, not practically. I absolutely did lose a month. But, anyhow, I'm glad folks went there and had a good time. So, seems some good reports coming out of it. So, neat. Yeah. Always fun to I, – I like it when people – I like seeing the cool things that people are doing. Even if I'm not there just vicariously seeing guys like DeShane was posting some cool shit on Instagram. I'm like, ah, fuck yeah, that guy had a blast. Yeah. So, pretty cool. Yeah, Nola Bird. Anything new, man, announcement-wise? Anything else? No new announcements. No. no. All right. Well, let's random encounter it up, brother. All right. Random encounter, a segment of the show where we field emails, voicemails, comments from social media. We've got three, two voicemails this week and an Holy email. Cow. Yeah. So, well, I, I will sit back and enjoy. All right. First one is from Chris Shorb. Hey, Brett and Sean. It's Chris Shorb. How are you guys doing? Uh, I was uh, listening to your lore, your lore episode, and I really like the point that, you know, setting and lore, it means nothing if it doesn't help your players solve problems. So I really like that. I'm going to take that in and kind of figure out what that means. How do I uh, act on that at the table? Um, and then on the the other thing that I thought was uh, potentially to add to what you guys were talking about is Dungeon World's spouting lore move. And that move, I don't have a book in front of me right now, but it basically says the player tells you, you know, that there's something that they want to give lore about. The player basically says, hey, <clears throat> I know this thing about, I know, I, I, not what they know, but they basically say how they know it. Oh, I read it in this book, or I was spending a lot of time at the library, or I heard about it down at the docks, whatever it is. And then they make the roll, they add the appropriate attribute score, in this case it's intelligence, and then the GM, either if they succeed, the GM gives them something that's useful to their current situation. If they don't succeed, you know, if they get a middling success, the GM gives them an interesting fact, and it's up to the players to make it useful to the situation. And then, of course, if they fail... Uh, you know, get a six minus, then the GM um, makes a move, a GM move, whatever that could be. And that's, of course, very wide. But that, to me, that way of using lore can be a really, that gives the GM the freedom to, uh, you know, provide interesting color, you know, on the seven and nine role, or actually give them something useful, kind of to, your, to the initial point, that the setting rules, uh, the setting should be useful to the players and help them solve their problems. Anyways, uh, great show. Take care. Bye. Thanks for the voicemail, Chris. And I did forget about the spout lore Me move. Me too. We from, both, yeah. have, we both, you know, Dungeon World better than I do, but we both played. Yeah. I should have thought about that one. Damn it. But yeah. yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, man. So Sean, I'm, I think, I mean, not to go too deep in what Chris just said, but I think there is something that you could translate from that to any game with a skill check, Right. Something along the lines of kind of how I've, I've talked about this with my Avalon games with 5e and how like to find data, there's a range of success, the similar type of thing. And as we learned in 5e, there's success with failure and compromise and other things and always pass fail. I think you could do this a similar type of thing is that spout lore. You could say, hey, I've been reading in books 
about these uh, about these creatures, uh, manticores, I think I could know something. Sure, give me a roll. Dn picks a target number of difficulty class, whatever you want to call it, and you come close or far or whatever the case is. Yeah, I like that. That's pretty cool. That's a good way, too, for players to inject something like I have been engaging. My character has been ga- engaging with the lore. I'm asking you to lore dump on me to, for something that would help us in our current situation, not just random. I know everything about trees. You're in a desert. Yeah, but I want to talk about trees right now. You know, it's just very specific. I like that, Chris. I'm glad you brought that up, man. Damn, Damn we should have we thought about that one. Right. That was good stuff, Chris. Thank you. The next one is from uh, Mr. Todd Crapper of Broken Ruler Games. So this could go a couple ways. Todd could be on our side, or we could be horribly wrong. Well, we'll I don't see know. how it goes. He's we'll he, now that he is going to be podcaster. He's now he's now recording the file. You know, so this is kind of a testimonial of what his podcast may sound like, sound quality wise. Oh, okay. But he did mention okay. that his his child is like um, adequately screaming in the background at some point. I think. Well, that's good. Yeah. I mean, that that good, good, good. We have we have cats and right. litter boxes going off, all sorts of shit. Oh, yeah. So why right. not? Right. Bring it on, Fit brother. Right in. All right, Tom. What you got? Hey there, lads. It's uh, Todd Crapper, the warden here. I thought I would actually kind of call slash record this one in rather than type it on the forums. Um, just because I kind of have a lot to say, and rather than have you guys read it, you know, I might as well do it myself. Um, so first of all, I just finished listening to the episode about uh, using lore in your settings and everything like that. It was a really great discussion. Um, there was some talk about, you know, some play-by-post games going. I'll send in something about that a little later, because I've been doing that for the last couple of years, and yeah, I definitely have some thoughts about using play-by-post versus in-person play kind of thing. But anyways, yeah, um, with the discussion, one of the first things that popped into my head was it's really tricky when it comes to applying the lore slash setting and everything into the game. You know, like what Brett was talking about, you know, having your characters look away from their character sheets and their skill list and this kind of stuff to actually, you know, invest in the world and everything. It's really tricky because in so many ways, how the players interact with the setting and make use of the lore is done through their characters. And we see the character sheet as being this conduit. It's almost like we keep training ourselves to step over our own feet, you know, to step on our own toes all the time, so to speak. It is a really tricky balance to pull off. And I think it's kind of one of those GM techniques that you really have to learn more than anything else. But at the same time, too, I remember thinking that Powered by the Apocalypse games have a really good way of handling this because in many cases, quite a few of them have moves that are very setting related. So like, for example, if there was going to be an Avalon uh, PBTA game, there could be a move that's specifically called Ask a Lamplighter and then roll 2d6 to see what the result is if you have to you know, do a favor, do a kind of like a side quest or this kind of thing to get something, um, you know, how useful, how helpful the information can be. But PBTA makes a really good uh, application for actually applying the setting into the character itself. Because in many cases, a lot of PBTA games, it's not really so much the moves aren't what your character can do so much as how your character can influence the current action or story 
as it's playing out at the moment. And so, you know, it's, uh, that's the only way that I can think of, but so many other cases of so many other games, it's all about what your character can do versus how your character can help influence the story. Um, so yeah, that's got me thinking a lot about the stuff that I'm working on as well. But then the other thing I also was thinking about when it comes to kind of like the lore dump and everything, um, I blame Tolkien for this. I really do. Because Tolkien, the reason why I've never been able to read Lord of the Rings is because this fucking guy spends so much time telling us what one person thinks is the origin and the mythology of this fucking forest. And then another character chimes in and says, no, no, that's not what I believe. And then it's three fucking pages of what the dwarves think of this fucking forest. And based on the number of times I'm cursing, you can see why I've never finished the fucking book. And I think because RPGs have been so influenced by D&D, which was so influenced by Tolkien, I think that's why we see so much. I don't think it's the cause, but I think it's kind of become this, you know, permission, so to speak, this expectation of lore dumping with so many GMs. Um, anyways, yeah, those are my thoughts on it. Definitely less coherent than anything I've ever written before, I think. But anyways, great show. Keep up the good work, guys. And uh, we'll talk later. <laughs> That's awesome. I know a number of people who don't like Tolkien because of that. I don't. It For whatever reason, it doesn't bother me when I read it. I've read it multiple times. But I can say, um, as a quick aside, one of the things I think is kind of funny, uh, Todd and, and others, is that there is a... Um, at certain points in his um, in his RPG history, um, Gygax would say things like, "I that never influenced me." <laughs> right? <laughs> uh huh. Sure, buddy. Um, anyway, different <laughs> different argument. But I think one of the things that's interesting is like how to get. I think that not only is the the Tolkien esque lore dump and and that that tradition, if you will, built into some of the fantasy novels and. Um, and even the fantasy games and or gaming in general. I think the other problem is how the hell do I take this lore and give it to the players so that they so that they mine it for something so that they utilize this stuff, right? I want this lore to be interesting. I did all this world building. I want it to be interesting. I want to share the love of a thing I have out to my players. And I think that as you rightfully said, Todd, you know, it, it is a delicate balance. It's like, how do you teach people to do that? You have PBTA games where it's built right in as you and Chris Shore both both have pointed out. But I think there's um, there's other skills and techniques we can use, kind of some of the things we talked about. I'm sure others have other ideas. But it's um, instead of the lore dump is how do you take it and turn it into something that's actually usable? Because we have this really cool lore. I've got this cool Star Wars game. Or I've got this cool Middle Earth game or Avalon game, Vason game, whatever it is. How do I make it so that you give two shits about the thing, the world that your characters are in? And it's not just, you know, a one shot or something. I don't know. It's just, um, you, it, it helps the verisimilitude and everything else that goes with it. If you to believe and buy into it, if the lore matters. So I think, yeah, there's probably games like, uh, PBTA and I just, I, I can't think of others offhand, but there's others that probably do it better or uh, have really cool ways to implement it mechanically into the game system. Um, it's been a while since I've read the rules, but I know, um, the Amber Diceless system ages back. 
um, that Wujek wrote that is, I mean, it's geared towards that IP and everything about that is geared around the lore of that, of that um, setting. So that's kind of easy. But um, anyway, good stuff, man. Thank you. Let me give me a lot to think about there, Todd, actually. So thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Todd. Thanks, Todd. No, that was good. So what else we got there? Oh, by the way, that was um if that's a quality sound, dude. That was that's, quality yeah, sound. Yeah, it sounded good. But that was very yeah, sounded don't great. screw around with those settings. Stuff. Yeah. No, don't pull Sean and don't yeah. fucking move don't, your don't, cables and shit. Don't yeah, do don't that. Do that. So whatever you do, keep it locked in. So Sean, um, what do we got? Jim F up on uh the same thing. So I'll I'll pass the mics over to you, man. I, I know I'm gonna talk a bunch later, so I'll let you I'll let you talk now. Fair enough, dude. <laughs> Jim F emails us on episode 377 using lore and setting to solve issues. Maybe it's just the extra week of between episodes, but the new schedule has produced some pretty good content so far. Like a lot of BSers, I started playing a long time ago, coming up on 30 years, and I was listening to the last episode on using lore and literally saying out loud in the car, how have I never thought of this? So let me explain. I do complex IT st stuff for a living, so I would say my lore skill there is pretty high. I don't know how to answer a lot of questions right off the top of my head, but I know how to find the answer to pretty much anything. I know I can read code, go talk to a coworker, or read documentation, so it's not like I can't do my job. I just don't have my job memorized. Uh, since 1993, I've been playing lore and lore skills in most RPGs as knowing facts, having the world memorized. That's not how real life works, though. You talked about, oh, excuse me, you talked that a lot in, about that a lot in episode 377, and it was such a great insight. I would say in my GM brain that if a player rolls a lore knowledge check and succeeds, a perfectly reasonable outcome is to say, you don't know, but you're 100% sure the lamplighters do. Good luck with that. Or like Brett said, you have to go to the library and run by the uh, the nice lich, but he still wants a favor out of the you before he lets you read his most arcane books. It seems like a great moment to create for a group. They know exactly where the uh, information is, but getting, getting it is a challenge in it itself. That's not a lore fail. That's a success. I'm also planning on using using this on my players in like four hours. Thanks for the house rule, Jim. That's awesome, Jim. I think you actually summed that up the concept up very well. Um, it, it you don't have everything memorized, but how do you find it? Right, that knowledge. My father was an electrician for many years, and um, when he was going to he was going to school, going getting his degree and whatnot, and going through all the stuff. You remember thinking at one point, he told me this. He said, I, I was sitting to look at all these formulas about how do I calculate this and that and the other thing. I'm like, holy fuck, I'll never re remember this stuff. And the professor he was working with at the time was like, open book, open book. And my dad was thinking, oh, my God, this, is, this isn't teaching me anything. And he said so. And the professor said, Ron, here's a deal. Well, Ron, that's my dad's name. So he said, Ron, here's a deal. In the job you have, you're going to find the formula or formulas that are the most important that you need all the time. You'll memorize those. You won't have any choice. You're just going to do it over and over and over again. You have them memorized. Otherwise, you know where to find the answers. That matters more. And I thought about that 
when you when uh, Sean was reading this, Jim, and I thought, man, that's the same bloody thing. And that is a key piece I, I pride in uh, engineers, people who work for me in the IT industry, um, folks in my department who are working for me when they say, and I ask them a question like, hey, man, what about this Wi-Fi idea? What about this thing for routing servers, Microsoft Azure, whatever it is, complicated IT infrastructure thing? They go, you know what? Hang on. I'll go find out. That's awesome. Having that knowledge piece. And I think you're right. That's... Um, Taking that, translating it through to those skill checks and so forth. It isn't like you don't know. It's like you know where to get the answer or you might not remember where to get the answer or something along those lines. You know, the answer is there somewhere, blah, blah, blah. So I think you totally summed it up really, really well there, dude. And uh, I hope that worked well in your game that you ran like four hours ago or however many hours ago it is <laughs> since we're reading this. But I hope that worked out. And I'm glad that helped. Because what you described is exactly what I'm doing in my home group. Um, my buddy Alpha is playing a character. He's a high um, occult and uh, archaeology knowledge and so on. He's trying to put together something. So he rolled yesterday. Or excuse me, I shouldn't say yesterday. On Saturday at the game. Two days ago, he rolls. And he's got a pretty decent roll. So I said, you know this, this, and this. And that more information can be found over here. So he went, aha, I need to go over there to go get the more data. And because uh, that's what we need. I only have enough that really drives me to know I've um, I've exhausted all my my uh, my points. I need to move on to the next piece. So well done, man. That's good stuff, Jim. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Jim. That was very good. Hope the game went all right. Shall we go on to the main topic, buddy? Might as well, man. What are we talking about this week, Brat? We're going to be talking about a little game by Free League Press. It's called uh, Vasen or Vasen or Vasen or any number of things. Oh, a, little, a little applause there. Very nice. Um, so Sean's got me hooked on some Free League stuff. Um, been talking about this, uh, about different games back and forth. And I got to say, even before I knew... Anything about Free League, I had seen some posts around around this wonderful game, Basin. Like Nordic horror role playing. Like, that's fucking, that's right up my alley. Um, it's really, really cool. This is like pre World War One type of era in a part of the world that's kind of interesting. And one of the things that drew me to want to dig into this was the, um, I like folklore, I like the mythology, and I like dealing with things in a folklore type of way. And by that, I mean, deity historically, you can change it up or however you want, right? It has folklore components to it. You know, it has red caps and all sorts of creatures and such. But they tend to be bags of hit points, experience points, um, stat blocks, right? Um, one of the key things I, I heard about Basin. I'm going to say the name differently throughout, so I apologize. I, I've yet to settle on how I want to pronounce it. Um, one of the things that that really drew me to it was I was hearing people saying it really deals with folklore well. It has you have to really investigate the creature. Um, solving the problem isn't just beating it to death. Solving the problem is finding a way to defeat it. Very much like I'm a fan of the Witcher books. I started re reading the Witcher, uh, watched the Netflix series. I don't play the video games. One of the cool things about The Witcher is that it's very folklore driven. To defeat X creature, you need to figure out 
what bothers a Striga? How do I go deal with a Griffin? How do I go deal with this problem? They're all different things will affect ghouls differently. Um, and, and that piece of it really drew me to it. It's just like interesting, interesting, interesting. And I got to say, at the very highest level, before we dig further into it, it fucking delivers, man. I mean, it really, really does a great job on this cool level of you feel like you're really diving deep into the lore of the Nordic horror, the Nordic Vason, the creatures themselves, the Vason. You feel like you're digging deep into it. I know there's more to be found, right? But it's got this wonderful, um, absolutely uh, folklorish approach to everything. And it's just, it's really, really cool. Sean, I see you've got a copy behind you. Have you uh, had a chance to read any of it or no? I have. Yes. So apart from me bragging it up and other people bragging it up and the fact that you're free league um, punk at this point. So uh, <laughs> I'm a free league was there chill about, as some of. Was there something about it that made you say, man, I got to get on this? This episode, me, Brett, or, honestly. Just, yeah. Just really? Really? talk about it. So I, I, you know, I call I called investment in the show. Okay. There you go. And so. All right. Um, what have, have you, um, is there any piece of what you've read before we dive into bits and pieces that really stood out to you? Yes. What was it? Well, what grabbed you? The first, here's the thing about Vason from the hundred foot view that I can appreciate with the game itself is that, and this is probably more conducive to a lot of the, um, free league publishing games them is that they set things kind of expectations a lot up front. So when we talk about, uh, cats, in session zero, like concept, aim, tone, um, mm-hmm. you know, content, or what is it, the system, more, whatever. I can't remember the last one. Anyways, there. When you talk about some role playing games, they will set it up so that it's like, well, you're playing a superhero game, and you in this game, uh, uh, you play a superhero, and superheroes do ideally good things, and they save people in the world, and they're do-gooders, whatever, right? And I'm, I'm obviously being quite flippant about all this, but with some of these games, even by the XP system that many of the free league games incorporate, if you just say, here are the eight criteria for gaining an XP point, and you say, here is the... Um, you're laying out the incentives of what the player characters want to accomplish in order to gain the reward of the system. Well, we've talked about that. I mean, uh, what the game rewards is the type of play it encourages. Correct. Right. Subject, if I subject you, matter is what um, I was talking about. The S part. What was that? Subject matter. Content, aim, yep. tone, subject matter. Cats. Yep. So. Yep. But I'm sorry. Go ahead, Brett. No, I was going to say, if it tells you like in... AD&D first edition um, by the book, you get experience points for gold found. That's important. You're supposed to go out and find treasure. That's an important piece. You're literally rewarded by experience points, which help your character get stronger, better, faster by amassing those things. And Basin, I mean, did you participate? Do you, um, uh, let me uh, consult my awesome screen. Did you, did you identify it? a previously right. unknown Basin? Were you affected by your dark secret? I mean, it's calling out the things that are cool. It reminded me a lot of the Blades and Dark game that Craig ran for us from Third Floor Wars when we um, went through that with him. Like, and there's that question list: Did you do? Did you do? Did this impact you? Did that? Did that impact you? And so on. And I really, 
I really like that approach. The more I read it and the more I've been exposed to it, the more I think from an experience point perspective, asking those kind of open-ended questions are interesting. I think that's kind of fun as opposed to a very traditional goblin worth five XP. Well, I'm oversimplifying right. the thing, but I think it's pretty interesting. Well, on Vase and specifically, it outlines six principles of the game. So you kind of have them served up to go, mm-hmm. you know, hey, what do, who am I? What do I do? And what is the kind of tone and subject, you know, the, the subject of the game? I don't want to say subject matter because, well, there is. Uh, there's a horror component. But well, it, let me throw, I'll tell you what, before we go much further, let's, I was going to go into the six principles to kind of kick off here, but let's start with this. So the concept behind Vason is Vason R uh, is the, I should say, Vason is the name for supernatural entities. When you think about it um, from a classic um, folklore type of thing, when I say classic, it means like trolls, giants, um, also different um, fey creatures often seen as um, revenants. Other things that are within the um, uh, within the Nordic horror or the Nordic mythology, Scandinavian, um, right? Scandinavian right. mythology. Yeah. yeah, they recently did a, and I'm going to have to spend some money on this, a British Isles one. So there's going to be different things with red caps and some of those type of creatures. But they have um, all sorts of fun, fun little things. And what your job is, you're members of a society, and as members of that society, your job is to understand what's going on, figure out why the why this particular vasin or, or multiple vasin are causing a problem, a threat, a danger, whatever it is, and figure out how to resolve that. And it's and it'll tell you flat out in the book, like, look, you just want to shoot everything. That's not going to solve your problem. That's not the answer, right? Just shooting all the vasin, not a good call. Beating him with a stick, not the way to go, right? I think one of the cool pieces they have is right up front, it talks about like the six principles, exactly as you said. Number one, the basin are neither good nor evil. Two, nature is dark and dangerous. Three, Scandinavia is changing. And this is important. The old Scandinavia is being swept away by industrialization, right? And signs of this often violent shift are everywhere. Very important thematic piece. And it plays throughout the entire book. And they did a really good job setting this up front. Four, knowledge and cunning are the keys to success. The mysteries of the basin can rarely be solved with violence. And again, as you read through the book, you see that that absolutely rings true. The journey is part of the goal is number five. Mysteries are not merely problems to be solved or overcome. The whole point is to pull the players and the player characters into the story that emerges during the course of the game. And again, as you read through it and you see how they build stories and uh, the examples they give you, I think are just wonderful. And the last one is you will not survive without each other. Player characters will face creatures the mere sight of which can drive a person mad and beasts that can kill a man in a single blow. The only way to survive it is to stick together. The player characters' relationships with each other and with important NPCs are crucial, both to the story and for healing injuries that are sustained during the game. That piece of it... Nice face, Sean. Um, <laughs> that piece of it is you can't survive without each other. It's like unspoken... In like D and D and other things, like hey, you should have a complete party, or hey, it's a good idea if you have. Oh, it's probably whatever. documented in the DMG or player's handbook somewhere, verbatim, Brett. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I'm somewhere. sure there is. <laughs> like, here is the worries. principles of 
D and D. You know, you got the reason you're gonna have a party of diverse classes is. But it reminds right. it reminds me of that component. Plus, though, the the investigative pieces from Call of Cthulhu, where it tells you, like, look, stick together, man. You know, pool, pool your resources, use your stuff, lean on each other. You're the people that you trust to get through the situation. Right. And I think those six principles, they lay them out there. And I really do believe as I read through the entire book, they really rang true at every at every phase. It would talk about a piece and it just it was really echoed back to me, all six of those principles. So I thought that was pretty cool. They took the time to lay it out. And I think I have said this before. The book is from a reading cover to cover was really fast for me. I'm a pretty quick read to begin with. But this was this was really smooth. There's not a lot of wasted, um, just from a reading perspective, there's not a lot of wasted um, verbose language around example after example or trade comparison versus another trade comparison. It's very to the point. Here's an example. Here's how this works. Here's bullet points. It's uh, it's really straightforward. I'm going to tell you why, really, Brett. It's really nice. Why that, Sean? I'm going to tell you why. Ready? Why is that, Sean? It's not tactical. It is absolutely not tactical. There's no, there's no whip out the minis, put them on a, on a board for this nope. game. It's just, it, it does have, <clears throat> it's just theater of mind. It does have time. ranges, but that's only because you have to abstractly understand kind of like, well, am I close or am I far away? Yep. Right. It's not, you're not, I mean, yes. It's not a, the, tactics yeah, is not the game. No. It's a fighting fighting the monsters to beat them down at hit points is not the is not the goal here, right? That's that's not the point. Knowledge and cunning, those are your keys to right. success. Whatever the basin is, you need to uncover why it's operating the way it's operating, what caused it to happen, and dealing with the NPCs who could be a part of it, might be impacted by it. Why is this going on? If there's a troll or. Um, uh, um, one of the woodwives or something's causing a problem in the area, you've got to figure out what's making it happen. And the idea that Scandinavia is changing that whole industrialization, um, encroaching on nature, nature's dangerous, it's still kind of scary. They really do a great job of pushing that throughout. And um, if if you think after you read through this book and you before you get to the very end, you're like, man, this sounds really cool. I wonder how you pull this all together. I think, and I'm I'm currently uh, we're almost done. My kids and I are, are my kids are playing through the um, the adventure in the back, the the uh, sample adventure. It's really nice. It's well put together. Great stuff, and um, it's it's a really good. If if you are like, how do I do this? They, sh- they not only do they teach you through how to build the plots and so on and so forth. You know how to build the mystery step by step. Again, it's eight points. Bam, 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 bam. Here's how you do it. But the adventure in the book, really well done. Shows you how to do it. Super nice. And I keep dropping my book in my lap here. So, Sean, from a mechanics perspective, let's just take a step back. So that's like cool, cultural, fun pieces and whatnot. it's It's a D6 dipole system, right? So if you want to make a force test, you've got physique of three, a force of one, gives you four dice, roll it. You, you, the character sheet is very simple. It's not very complicated. It's D6. You normally only need like one success to succeed at anything. You don't get a shit ton of dice to do this. Like you roll a big salad bowl, like in the old days of, of uh, a Shadowrun or something. Certain things like the fear ch- tests and other things might require multiple successes, but those are pretty, uh, those are individual components um, called out specifically. 
The other thing that's interesting from my perspective, when you start looking at the, um, the creatures, you're talking about the supernatural and so forth, the things that you get, um, that you deal with when it comes to the creatures and so forth. Again, it's not just, you can resist things with die, die rolls and stuff, but it's not as simple as, you know, save for half damage. And, and I'm, this sounds like I'm disparaging Dean and I don't mean to, it's just, it's a very drastically different approach, right? Um, it reminds me much more of a Call of Cthulhu game in so far as if you save or you do something to try to negate a component, uh, a curse could still have an impact on you, right? You could still be um, hammered in some way, shape or form. I thought the, um, the, the die pool uh, uh, approach is very, very simple. And I thought it um, at first I'm like, huh, we'll see how that flows, but it's incredibly intuitive, you know, take this plus that it's four dice roll it off you go um any sean mechanically speaking this is i'm assuming this is very similar to other free league games that you've read is this true there is a it does incorporate the the die six pool system the the small amount of attributes which is four of them they're in different games they may be called differently so in basin their physique precision logic and empathy and and two are physical mm -hmm. and two are mental, which is important in Vason because you take conditions and those conditions can be physical conditions or mental conditions, depending. And then so in that regard, it's it's the same. And it has the push, right? So you take the skill rank, which is zero to five, and that's the amount of die sixes. And then you take the attribute that's associated with the skill. And if there isn't one, then it's just the default attribute, much like Forbidden Lands. And you, you add, and whatever score that is, which is one to five, that's how many die sixes you, you roll for the test. And so when we talk about, I talked a little bit about this on Saturday about, um, you know, you get into, well, actually, I don't think I talked about it Saturday. I talked about it on Sunday with somebody else individually. But in some systems, you have target numbers and you have DCs and you can modify that. And you can still do that in VASIN and for other free league based games. But the nice thing is I don't have to set a DC for a test because they just have to roll because it's always a six. It's a success. And if they never roll a success, six on their, on their pool, they don't, they don't succeed. There is a push mechanic, which. Yes. Right. And then, and that's similar to Forbidden Lands where if you really, really want to exert yourself and push to, to kind of do that. It shouldn't be done all the time. There should be a reason for it or, or an explanation in the narrative and how to do it. You roll everything, but your, you re-roll everything, but your successes, your sixes. Um, and then you go and then you read the, the dice from there. So, cause from a, from a difficulty perspective, I mean, your normal is one success needed. Challenging is two difficult is three successes and certain things may potentially drive you past that, right. but you're right. It's very, very simple. Yeah. So I think the, um, yeah, I was just going to say, and from, so that's, that's like, that's the core, that's like the, the core mechanics other than, you know, you start getting into conditions or how do you take damage? And I think that starts to get into conflicts, which is a little, not entirely different, but I think Brett was just mentioning, you know, the core attributes and skill test and that's how that works. Yep. So let me just, I want to go through like the character real quick. So they have archetypes, so you can go through that. You've got lots of different cool examples of what you may or may not want to have. Um, I've got, where are my archetypes here? 
you've got vagabonds, private detectives. Think about like Sherlock Holmes types, servants, officers, priest, um, academic, doctor. There's some pretty cool shit. Age, name, your motivation, trauma. This is interesting. Your trauma is the event that gave you the sight. So every character with Vason has sight. They're a Thursday's child. They have the ability to see, literally see Vason. Most people, most mortals cannot even see them, right? So this is a special thing that you have, a bond that you have. And, um, but you go through like what caused this to happen to you. And the architects have different um, examples, things you can work with. To help you kind of stir your imagination and so forth. Your dark secret is a problem you are ashamed of and therefore keep to yourself, maybe linked to your trauma or concern something completely different. But either way, it will af actively affect the game. It makes things difficult for you. Okay. So every character's got these, which I think is pretty damn cool. Um, attributes, physique, like we talked about attributes wise, there's physique, precision, logic, empathy, a really short list of skills. You know, we're looking at a dozen, not a lot here type of thing. You got relationships, resources, really cool stuff. Your conditions or what happens when you get hurt. We've talked about this. Um, so physically, you can be exhausted, battered, wounded. You can be angry, frightened, or hopeless mentally. Well, a cool piece I really liked here too, Sean, was the, um, the advantage. One of the ways that you can get um, kind of leg up through the mystery is gaining these advantages. The way the mystery is built out, Every character has, an, has the opportunity to gain an advantage. The advantage could be on the train ride from Uppsala to the event. You um, you narrate through an example of, you know, I trained, um, like, this, like examples they have. You know, hey, I trained with my rapier all day and night. So I have an advantage potentially using my rapier. Um, you could say, hey, I had a conversation on the train with Captain Berengard and resolved the differences once and for all there. So that could give me an advantage. I met with a professor. Um, because of that, we I have an advantage on this particular type of um, instance or event or whatnot. It's really, really cool. It, it gives you these wonderful kind of pre-built-in role-playing opportunities. You don't have to like get deep, crazy thespian role-playing, but it gives you something you can work with. I think it's pretty cool, and it's they're necessary to have. You don't want to skip the opportunity to get the advantage because you're going to need that. Um, tell bolster your chances to succeed as you're dealing with the mystery. Um, anything else you want to talk about there, Sean, for characters? Well, I was going to say that the site is an interesting component in you. Mm -hmm. You've received that through some piece of trauma or interaction yep. with, with that. And I think you get, and I think, with the premise of the game, and I think it's Uppsala or Uppsala, I'm not sure how it's pronounced. Uppsala. Uppsala, yep. which is the base town, and and there's a component, I think we might get to it, but there's a component of um, building your headquarters. Yep. Right? And we're definitely going to get to that. And not to get too – so I'll, I won't get into much of that, but I think the question is, well, then, how does this flow from setting up – the mystery. So the mystery is, that's what they call the adventure, right? Is Correct. the mystery. So it's got, like, there's a lot of lingo they throw around where is it's inherent to Vason that we all know what it is, but they say, well, instead of calling it an adventure or a scenario or whatever or mission, it's called the mystery. And mm -hmm. how Brett sets that up as the, the game master is 
you know, it can vary, right? But typically, the premise is that you come from this headquarters or you're assigned in Uppsala to the, I can't remember the the, the, the keep that they have set up for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're a part of that and you know that and you have access to the resources that that thing provides. Try not to get into that deep because we're going to talk about it in a second. But how you position your characters, part of the thing was like, I think there's a... Isn't there tying to each other somehow? <laughs> yep. So there's some cool there's some cool pieces like what you feel about each other, right. and again, you it, it it matters. Right, it absolutely matters. Doesn't mean that you so have like for, to like each other. It actually stipulates. Oh no! That. For instance, right. AJ and Alana, their characters. Um, I think Alana's character is permanently anemic because um, they are an academic, and somehow I can't remember the full piece of it because I don't have a character in front of me. But she lost a ton of blood because some fairy drained it from her, and now she's like completely anemic mm. but she's driven to document all the vason that she could find she wants to make this like her magnum opus work and aj's character is more of a ranger hunter type and uh he <laughs> he's trying to avenge a death and um he sees alana's character is just this soft stupid city person <laughs> he just could barely tolerate them and Alana sees him as just like a, a useful, a useful friend. She completely doesn't understand that he hates her, right? Not hates her, just looks down on right. her or whatever it is. But yeah, absolutely. So there's a connection there with with the party that comes to fruition. Mm-hmm. And what Brett mentioned with the advantage, right? That each character gets one per mystery, and it gives you a plus two to a skill test. So you could spend your advantage, but like he mentioned earlier, you get that advantage kind of in route to the mystery you could be summoned and there's a letter that talks about something happening in the town over or a town distant in the distance and you do some research in the library before you go on site and that research gives you the advantage to carry in through the Correct. adventure right that's the that's the meta concept behind it and so when yep. you talk about well what do they do and how do they unravel this and you know, so there is because I think we're a lot of folks will like, oh, it's Nordic horror, and there's these investigators. You play investigators, right? You're like, yeah, sure, okay, all right. So it's kind of like Call of Cthulhu, right? Well, there are components that align with it, right? So they're both horror, and you know, mm-hmm. they both you are kind of in playing investigators for the most part, sure. But there's some very. Uh, firm delineation from the Cthulhu pieces of it, right? Um, yeah, well, the cool one of the cool things is we'll get in, uh, I think we could just jump right into this component sure. here, is the, the society itself. So one of the right. things that happens is you and your fellow players, you are bequeathed a headquarters, this castle, right? Um, that's part of the society. And there's this wonderful background for it. There's a short piece up front. Um, there's a intro piece, this uh, Linnea, I can't, I can't remember, Elfenklint, is the one who uh, bequeaths this to you, gives you the keys. You've got this big building. And as you build your character, you go on these different um, mysteries and you go through this stuff as a group, you can expand that. You can find hidden libraries within the building because it, it has this wonderful description of this massive castle that's been rooms have been walled off, secret rooms, secret passages, things have been hidden. There's laboratories, there's all sorts of stuff in here because the society used to be here all the time. Society of Artemis, the Order of Artemis, as it was originally called. Um, and then it's 
kind of evolved, devolved, changed over time, and you are the current inheritors of this of the Thursday's children, the ones at the site, to be able to deal with this. And there's really cool things how you want to deal with it, how you um, either grow the society, uh, kind of counter groups within it that the game master can use to build up little uh, little plots where this person doesn't like the piece of the society they were kicked out of it or um, what I want to say. Uh, they're, they're, they're fighting against you. Rivals. Give you, that's the phrase. For rival societies, threats, different things that come up on you. But you have these wonderful, these discovery pieces, these upgrades you can do. You can find within the facility, there's an armory, a butterfly house, a carp pond, an infirmary. And some of the things as you read them, like a butterfly house, right? You can you can add this to the castle. And it's an annex. And it has, you have to get a botanical garden first. It's got prerequisites. But a character who spends a scene in the botanical garden heals two mental conditions. Having these pieces to the castle, to your society's headquarters, matters to you in long-term play. It, it's a thing you want to drive for because not only is it cool, I'm uncovering, I'm spending points, I'm dealing with all this cool shit. But as I build out the society and build out the headquarters and find these hidden and lost things, we are gaining benefits from it. Libraries, more data. You can have, um, you start off with a butler, um, you get more people, uh, servants, other people to help you out. You can have kennels for dogs, all sorts of cool shit. Um, there's, there's a lot to it, <laughs> quite frankly. And But what's neat is, again, the way the Free League folks laid this book out, it is very easy to, like, bam, bam, bam. Hey, it's this list of things. This is what it does. Very, I'm saying bullet pointy because there's literal bullet points in here. It's easy to read, very plain English, simple to understand. It's not like you read through it and you're like, what the hell was that? How does that actually work? It very simply tells you this is what happens. You spend a scene there. You get back these points. You have this thing. You can have this groundskeeper. You do this with a groundskeeper. You get this other thing there. So I think it's pretty cool. And having the society within the city of Uppsala, you have, um, as a game master's perspective, you've got access to have threats to the society, threats to the castle. I can have... um, Again, rivals bothering you. The police can hassle you. The government can bother you. You can have people knocking on the door trying to join the society. You could have spies, counter agents, all sorts of cool shit can happen within that. Well, there's a so there's a component there's more about, to it than like there's a component there, of the threats. Yes. that when you upgrade your headquarters, you increase mm-hmm. the chances of a threat. So it's me- mechanized and and solidified yeah. through the mechanics. Because as you get more popular and you're improving and advancing the threat levels rise, right? right? Got more to deal with. And I think this is one of the places, Sean, where it really does separate itself from a Call of Cthulhu. And it reminds me, kind of harkens to the Delta Green component, right? Why are you together in Call of Cthulhu? Why are your five investigators together? You can come up with a reason, but this is baked into the core of the mechanics, much like in Delta Green. It's baked into the core of the game, why you are operating together, right? Yeah, it's a very, yes. And it's, I think... That's why I think I, f- I have an appreciation of some of the things that Free League puts out is because they don't make it a generic fantasy game when they talk about Forbidden Lands. They don't make it, you know, a, a Call of Cthulhu knockoff where you are. No, this is a curated experience that is specifically sure. designed to support this type of play. Right. Everything about it. Everything about right. it. Right. So the, the, yep. there's a synergy between. <clears throat> 
the 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 headquarters because that thing it it actually has an XP kind of uh, criteria just like characters mm-hmm. do. So if you upgrade, if you want to upgrade your headquarters, you have to go through a series of eight questions during play to determine whether you you it, that you know you check the box off, and then based on that. You get to purchase upgrades, and then when you purchase upgrades, you have the chance of threats. When threats come into play, yep. that moves the story or introduces complications into the story while you're investigating these mysteries. So it's just like this this setting mechanics, like Brett said, and he summed it up really well with the word curated. Because in so in old Brett would say, I could do all this in Call of Cthulhu. Well, I don't need Basin. What? I've said this before on this show. Right. I could do this in, in Call of sure. Cthulhu. However, the amount of work that's been done here, the thing that stops me from doing this type of thing in another game system is simply because the amount of work to curate this experience, I don't have the time or desire to do. No. I would love to do it, but I have to quit my job right. right, to make this work. All this is done and the right level of detail, which is important to me, where you, you feel this great, like, ooh, I'm really digging into the lore. I'm really tearing into what is this creature? What's this about? How am I going to solve this problem? If there's a lindworm, how do I deal with it? Um, it's really neat. And it reminds me a lot of um, of the Simber Room stuff that I loved. And uh, and the other component that reminds me of old school, believe it or not, um, the uh, shit. Was it Iron Kingdoms by Privateer Press? I can't remember what it was, but ages back, they had um, their Monstronomicon 1 and 2, and they had different components of lore for each monster. They were very cool critters, and they would say, hey, if you make a lore check, you could learn different components of it. It feels very similar to that. Only really, really well done. Not that that wasn't well done, but just it all ties really nicely. So the other piece I want to touch on just from, um, because we're talking about horror here, there are, um, they do have critical injuries, they, um, and you do have mental critical injuries as well, physical and mental. You could have everything from like an eye injury, a dirty wound, a bleeding wound, torn abdomen, crushed chest. I mean, there's, there's shit that could just kill you flat. There's things that'll give you insights. Like if you go crazy, a dream state, you could have nightmares and fear and all sorts of crazy shit. But you could also have a split consciousness, and then you're enlightened, and your learning goes up by four or something crazy can happen there. Um, it's pretty cool. It's, and it's decent charts with some good descriptive text, very narrative feel to it. And it's not overly complicated. And one of the things I, I, um, I also like when I say not overly complicated, it doesn't feel like there's like, there is no mini game within it. It's all the D six rolls either. Uh, what they call a D60, D66, where you roll two six-sided dice, add them together. It's like the numbers 11 through 6, you know, and that's it. Or it's the die pool. That's it. There is, um, you understand that core mechanic? You, brother, you can do any, everything in this fucking game. There's no really weird side core mechanic for grappling. No side mechanic for this other thing. It's all right there. You get the core mechanic. You get 90% of this game done. Yeah, usually you're really you're maybe in adding add, adding a die, subtracting a die. Your healing conditions that yep. impact those those dice pools, but it is it is really eloquent in uh, eloquent elegant in those yep. in those capacities, and that, and that carries over to a few free league games. In uh, but yeah, it's I, I'm 
you know, I, I kind of um, crammed for this episode a little bit on, on the <laughs> system itself, but it didn't take long because there's obviously a, a chunk of the book that's talents, which is something you can spend your experience points on. You either Correct. increase your skills or you learn talents. That's kind of the deal. When it comes to your personal player character, then there's the headquarters, which is something else. But when you... I just like the fact that there's enough character development stuff, the talents, the skills, the things there that you can develop, plus the headquarters component. Right. You feel like it's not just... Like your characters are advancing, but then as a group, you have accomplished this thing. And that helps to really, in my opinion, it really helps to drive home that you need each other perspective. Right. We accomplished this thing. Not only did Sean's character, Brett's character, Eileen's character, Stefan's character, we all got better and our headquarters got better because of it. And things we did had this impact. We screwed up on this mission. The threat became real back home. We did really well. This improved us here. It, it, it all ties. I think it's really, I think that's really cool. Yeah, you don't. Much like Nessel, some similarities with Cthulhu Mythos games, based games, is kind of hinted at the fact that you're never really gonna do physical harm to these things. Like you're you're not gonna go toe to toe with a gun battle and shoot bullets into these things. They're just not. They're supernatural. They're fairies, like Brett said. They're they're folklore, right? They're nursery. Yep. What nursery rhymes are built out of uh, or derived from. So most of the stuff that you have to do, much like Cthulhu, is more ritual-based. So you have to complete a ritual that you have to find out what that is and then complete it and hope that it does what it needs to to rid the basin from, you know, from the mystery that you're dealing with. So it's very— Yeah, and the, the thing with the basin, too, is that it's not like when we say rid it or solve it or whatever, it's not like you're always destroying it, killing right. it. Right, it's not always this terminal. Sometimes it's driving it yes. away. Sometimes it's placating it. Sometimes it's putting it to Love sleep for sixty-six that. more years. Right. All those types of things are playing. And if you solve it for the troll today, you encounter a troll next time. It might not be the same solution. Yeah, it's not always the same depending on the monster. Right, right? you haven't unlocked everything there is to know about giants. You haven't unlocked everything there is to know about lindworms. You haven't unlocked all the ashwives. Right. You know, you know enough about them to be dangerous, like literally to be dangerous. <laughs> now, I forgot, you mentioned, and you were going to touch on this a little bit, Brett, but like even the skill mm -hmm. tests, you know, and this is the same with a lot of, again, other freely games, is, and I have to keep in mind when I run Forbidden Lands is, you know, you're only wanting the players to roll when it's a really big deal. So, for example, just an example, yep. it's not a game where you're going to have somebody, and this is a perfect example of like ripped right out of the book, where if you're going to sneak into a castle, you're in a mystery, you're going to sneak into a castle to investigate something. So in some games, you would say, all right, great. So where are you? Okay, you're outside the castle. I need you. What do you want to do? I'm going to sneak up to the gate. All right, give me a sneak roll up to the gate. Okay, you make it to the gate. Then I'm going to sneak in. Uh, I'm going to go around this way. All right, give me another sneak check. Like it doesn't work. Give me a climb check because I want to get it over It doesn't there. work yeah, like that in these games. No. It's you roll one roll and you either accomplish all the sneaking you need to or you don't it's very fundamental like to forbidden lands where it's like hey we're gonna lead like combat's occurring we're gonna retreat all right give me a move check and if you succeed you literally get the hell out of dodge that's it it's yeah. you know um so it's very much wrapped up all in one and you can narrate that all okay you sneak up to the gate and you don't hear anything and you sneak up here 
it seems everything's good to go. And you don't have this check, 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 check. Oh, fail, check, check, fail, check. It's just summing it all up yeah. in a night Agreed. neat yep. roll. <clears throat> Correct. Now, one of the pieces I wanted to, I want to call in here because we're talking about horror, and one of the things that comes to horror is our is your fear test, your sanity, stability, so on and so forth. Again, this is it, I'm using the word simple a lot because it's just it seems to encapsulate really what I, I feel about it. But I don't mean simple as in juvenile or simple as in stupid, weak, whatever. I'm talking elegant, simple. So far as I think it is really smooth, very very fast, right? I don't, and it also feels very intuitive to the game i shouldn't say intuitive it feels very aligned with the flavor of the game i've had some people tell me they don't like call of cthulhu because they don't like seeing the number chart of the sanity it just relates sanity to hit points like whatever so i'm fine until i get to a certain number then they just burn it like hit points in d or something um some people don't like that other people doesn't bother them and so on now i just i'm gonna read a little bit here just to make sure just to make sure we get this so when you're dealing with the supernatural stuff, or there's all sorts of things, you could see a vasin the first time, a bloody corpse, you see dead children. That's an example in the book. Ha ha ha, they know me. Um, these are my people. Uh, a mass grave, fear values one, two, and three, and so on. You choose whether to tackle the fear situation with either logic or empathy. The attribute value indicates how many dice you get to roll. An additional die is equal to the number of player characters present in the scene, maximum up to three dice. Again, Another mechanical reason why hanging together makes sense, right? You bolster each other through this fear test. Player characters who are broken or already terrified don't count. Uh, don't do that. If you become frightened during combat scene, blah, blah, blah. The fear value of the creature um, indicates how many successes you need, right? So if the fear value is two, you need two successes. Fear value four, you guessed it, four successes. On a failure, you become terrified. Roll a six-sided die, see how many rounds it takes to gain control. Whether you flee, freeze, faint, or attack is up to you. They've got examples. When you become terrified, you suffer a number of mental conditions equal to the fear value. Lastly, it should be noted if you become terrified in a situation that is in particular hazardous, where the duration of the effect or your um, exact reaction isn't, is irrelevant, the game master can let you improvise your reaction and how long it lasts. For example, if you are examining a mutilated corpse in an otherwise secure location. That's it. I mean, that's pretty much it. It's like, what, four, five paragraphs? Maybe six short little paragraphs around fear. It's not that hard to do. There's not a lot of, well, pass the stability, then versus this, then versus that, no, so on and so forth. <clears throat> Again, I think it's very elegant from my perspective. I like the way it works. What happens when you're terrified? Do you flee, freeze, faint, or attack? It has examples of what that means. How do you how do you interpret how do you interpolate that? And um, the combat stuff is you know grenades, dynamite, big explosive charges. They do big things. They do lots of damage in a short area or a big area or whatever it is. Much like fear, it's very it's that elegant. Roll a couple dice. Did you succeed? If not, this is the impact, and it lasts for a certain period of time. And because it's not it's all six-sided dice. It becomes very simple using the same die, from my perspective, again, to just check. Oh, yeah, so how many dice do I roll? It's one six-sided to see how long it lasts and so forth. It's actually, again, I really like it. I think from a fear perspective, it fits narratively because everything in it is like you have, you're terrified. What is terrified? How does that take shape? Well, you might flee. You might attack something. You could faint and so on. So, again, these are descriptors and the Examples behind each bulleted descriptor is pretty good. 
It's not it's not complicated. It doesn't have a ton of stuff to it. It does require, in a way, um, you need to go with it, right? It's not like, how do I say this? Well, you lose five points on your attack roll and then minus two on your defense roll. No, 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 no. Your body refuses to move, rendering you completely immobile. You cannot talk or perform any action whatsoever. If you're in a dark or concealed position, it takes a, it takes a successful vigilance test to spot you. That's freeze. That's it. That's a, just a narrative thing. Like You cannot. You're completely immobile. You cannot talk or perform any actions whatsoever. It doesn't say minus two on a talk roll or something like that, right? It's very, it's narratively driven. And it's expecting you as players and game masters to get into that spirit. So if that's not a thing that you're used to or you're ready for, um, the mechanics are have a lot of that type of narrative flow throughout. And if you're not ready for that, um, it could be a bit of a jarring shift for some folks who are used to something that's a little more minus two in my next roll, minus 10% more mathy mechanics, if that makes sense. By what I'm saying, Sean? Yeah, man. All right. So... The, the pieces on the mythic north and Scandinavia and the town and Uppsala and so forth, again, it's not horribly crazily detailed, but it's got enough to make you like it. And if you get the um, the GM screen, it's got this really kick-ass heavy-duty map of Scandinavia, the mythic north, and the flip side of it is the, is the uh, city of Uppsala. <laughs> so it's pretty cool. Uppsala itself has enough cool pieces and parts. It makes for really good uh, headquarters for folks. Now, we talk about the basin themselves, just to get into the kind of cool, coolest piece, the stuff that drew me here. Um, this is a piece that it tells you flat out, this chapter's <laughs> and those that follow are only intended for the game master, for your player, read no further. So I don't want to spoil this stuff. I want to talk high level because if we get into specific creature names, or other things, it, you could know too much. I've already said trolls and giants, and some of those things are pretty well known. But one of the things that it talks about is like, hey, what's the nature of the basin? You know, the God and the devil. The game does not define whether or not God and the devil really exist. It talks uh, about options, how you could do different things, what they may believe, what might not be believed, and so forth. It doesn't waste a lot of time again, with massive diatribes about what what the reality is or whatever, but it gives you very good examples of how to run things and different ways you could look at it. Um, well, the cool pieces too, when it talks about the, the creature's powers, the enchantment curses and spells and things that they can do to you or with your characters and whatnot, it's got some really good, really good examples where what it could do um, how it could cause, you know, like, hey, rats to invade a town or you could be cursed in a certain way or whatever. It's it's really pretty interesting. But one of the p key pieces here is the story comes first. The rules for magic leave ample room to interpret the effects of the various powers. Okay. Keep in mind that game masters should not view the players and the characters as enemies to be defeated. The point of the game is to create a story together. One where everyone is both participant and spectator. This is not to say that you should never put the player characters in difficult or even life-threatening situations. Your job is to use magic and all other rules of the game to do what is reasonable and interesting to the story. That way, the player characters will both get into trouble and have a chance of getting out of it. Again, that's just it's a design principle. They spell it out for you right there, and it carries all the way through. So the vase in themselves are pretty freaking cool. There's items that you can use to um, 
help defend yourself against them, um, perhaps def defeat them or draw them to you, push them away from you, all sorts of different pieces and parts. But there are a number of different creatures here. It talks about um, every creature has its characteristics, its powers, conditions, and what happens, right? So, like, hey, if it hits a certain point, it may, may fly into a murderous rage, or it could flee, or it could turn into a tree. Um, it, these are the Sean, I think you used the term right. It's a fairy tale type of creatures here, right? There's examples of conflicts for each of the creatures. There is a ritual assigned, like, hey, what, and so forth. And there's also a bit of a secret involved or options for them. And these are examples. You can dress this stuff up, make your own, do also, you know, twist it, turn it a little bit. But um, I think somebody had mentioned this once in our, in our, um, in our uh, random encounters. And I, it, this is not a kid's game. <laughs> this is not a fun, fancy little um, fairy tale game where you'd want to run your young children through it. There are, um, there's dead babies in this game, right? There's some horrible things that happen. I mean, some of the, um, <laughs> they give examples of some of the different weird um, creatures and some of the different um, mythology that goes into getting rid of them. And even just kind of to help help with flavor, it has things like, hey, like if um, a ritual to, you know, cure the fact that you can't have a child, you do this weird thing with a fish. It's odd, but it's there, right? <laughs> you know. You catch, you catch a fresh pike, piss in its mouth, and then your wife will get, have a baby. I have no idea why that works, but it's document, right? This is, there's this weird folklorist folk magic type of stuff going on. And that is how each of these creatures are designed, right? They have all these pieces and parts, and I, I, I really want to, like, dig into one hardcore, but I don't want to wreck it for anybody who might want to play this. But as GMs and as players, I think it's important that you not know all this stuff. You know what I'm saying, Sean? I think that's part of the cool piece that you and I have talked about for Christ seven years now is the wonderment. Like, hey, how do I make goblins neat in D&D? &D? And Dungeon Crawl Classics has some really good examples of how to, you know, don't name the creature and so forth. And sometimes, quite frankly, naming the creature in, in Vason is power. <laughs> I mean, you talk about the folklore piece. If you can name the beast, you can gain power over it. And if I went through and named all the stuff in here, I feel like I would be doing a disservice to the... <laughs> to anybody who wants to run it or play it. But the characteristics, the powers, how they behave at different levels of health and condition and so forth, how they engage in combat, rituals, examples of conflicts. These are really cool. They're really well done. And they're not like, you know, this creature lives in a well. It doesn't like people who don't use the well. It, you know, it, it's story-driven. It's all like, hey, this creature is bothering, is living in this person's, um, stable and the person made them mad because they stopped feeding him sour milk every day. So they've made all the horses go lame. I'm making that up. Um, but that's the type of thing that we're talking about here. So you made that up. I told him, oh, I'm shit. fucking brilliant, man. I'm brilliant. I'm crazy game master, <laughs> man. So Sean, do you have any, did you, when you were cramming for this exam, did you like this stuff? I mean, I, I read through that. I'm like, oh, this is so fucking cool. I was just like get giddy. I mean, reading this lore was just awesome. Because to our last topic, the lore fucking matters, man. If you don't dig into the lore of the creature, you cannot solve the problem. And your character sheet doesn't have a lore, Vason, roll it. It doesn't have that. You've got to go figure it out, you know. 
there is a lot to appreciate in the game, depending on what you, you know, I mean, there's, I just, with some of these games, you know, I think many of us, we find games interesting for whatever reason. Okay. Got it. Sure. Mm -hmm. Check box, whatever these five boxes. But I thought when I was reading Vason and, and understanding what it's trying to achieve through playing the game and running the game, if you are a fan of horror, and and frankly, we didn't even mention it, it takes place 19th century. So anything 1800s yep. up to like, mm-hmm. you know, I would say even maybe 1920s would be, that's the soft spot for inspiration. You don't have to keep it in Scandinavia and Uppsala and all that. You don't, you don't have to. You can move it to wherever you want, New York City. Correct. When the 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 British and uh, Irish version supplements come out, I'm sure they're going to base it out of cities in that those locales. Mm-hmm. But I, with the the characters and the archetypes, the mechanics and the headquarters, and the Vasin and what it really means to to be what a Vasin is, Vasin doesn't even have the same stat blocks as a PC does. No, no, totally which different. is not the case. I shouldn't say totally, just different. Enough. Which is not the case in Forbidden Lands. Forbidden Lands, the the baddies and the the monsters have the same kind of stat block, like the same attributes for the most part. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't get pushes, which is pretty standard in in many of the Forbidden Land or uh, Free League games. But it's a you know when you encounter a Vasin, it's got its own shtick and the components yep. of it. So it's not something where you're going to go through a monster stat block and there's going to be these pieces and components that are similar across all of them. Like they're not all, I mean, yes. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard to articulate a little bit, but I think, I think one of the things that leads off of that, Sean, is that it is not, I would not, I would not set this up as a simple, as a simple design. For a campaign, for a story, everything for a is very intentional. Of there's, course, with a purpose. It's very, right. it, it's very intentional, and there's a lot of stuff to think about. So, honestly, I think this is a good segue into the mystery section, the mystery chapter itself. Um, it gives you components of the mystery, right, step by step. It's got a prologue, invitation, preparations, the journey, the arrival, places, confrontation, aftermath. Those are its main big chunks, right? Now. Part of it, when it talks about this, right at the beginning, it says the Vason, naming the Vason, like, hey, what would you name it? Why would you call it a certain thing? That matters. The conflict, the conflicts here, we're not, again, it's not like, you know, Vason is, you know, Vason smashing stuff, people mad. It's not like that, right? Someone, uh, so examples, someone wants something from the creature. Someone's taken something. Someone's exploiting the creature, um, trying to save someone from them, wrong the creature wants to stop or banish the creature. These are just high-level examples of things you might want to deal with. Then they also have um, a misdeed connected to this, a secondary conflict, right? The primary primary conflict, and then there could be, hey, someone has died. There's something has changed or a change is taking place. Again, tying to the fact that the industrialization is happening, what else is going on. Locations matters a lot where do you want to have it and it gives you examples of atmosphere really how do you drive that through hot and dry summer windy moors fishing boats it, gi- it gives you these examples 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 of flavor text how to kind of craft things and use different 
tones and words so that you can drive the atmosphere and the theme home. Clues, um, the central clues, the peripheral clues, how, where to use them. They give some good examples. Um, a countdown to catastrophe examples. Um, like, hey, you know, if this occurs, then this, then this, then this. It has a, it's, it's a step-by-step guide. Obviously, when you when you read through this, if you if you've run a bunch of games, or after you've run this game a few times, like oh cool, I can mess with the formula, right? That's what writers do, that's what authors do, that's what game masters and players do. We mess with the formula. We've got it. I would encourage somebody, like I said uh, at the top, to kind of run read the adventure in the back, run it kind of as is. I've started. I really like doing that to get a feel for how the authors want it to work. When I run Simba Room, I'm going to do the same thing. Take the example adventure and run it so I can make sure I'm following the right formula because I want to make sure I'm including all the right pieces and parts. But um, anyway, I, I, I think from a, honestly, Sean, from a like how to do it, how to set it up, it's one of the better um, adventure structures I've ever read. I think it's really, really well done. That you've ever read? ever read in like 30 plus years of doing of reading game books man. wow i think a lot of it has to do with the short punchy writing direct to the point solid examples here's what you should do here's some ideas here's an example next piece here's what you should do bam 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 it follows a very organized formula and it does not waste a lot of time or words with extras it gets right to the point and helps you figure it out I think it's very easy to sort through. Very. I'm just, I'm wickedly impressed, man. I really am. So. With the advice and the way they've designed right, it. Right. Would, would you write a supplement for it uh, based out of Avalon? You know, <laughs> I started reading this and I'm like, man, this is fucking wicked. And I like the, I like the way, one of the things I like to do in Avalon is have that kind of, that folklore feel, like how you deal with the, the goblins, even the Atiugs and all that stuff and that flavor, it would really lend itself quite well to that. I think it could be really cool to do. I mean, I realize it would require that, a lot of time on my part, but I think it'd be Yeah, fun. I realize a lot of how you have positioned Avalon because you've run so much D and D in that, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's a little a little different. But I think you have aspects of that, Avalon. Well the tone is there, yeah, man. Yeah. That aligned, tone right? but, yeah. Yeah, this is this is really good. I mean, even if um, I'm running it for my kids, as I said, they're loving it. And even if I were to run it for my home group and people went, eh, well, it was kind of fun. We're like, I don't care. This is going to be <laughs> in my like a favorite book game system inspiration thing. It really. How is. do you think your your home group is gonna would take it? I think they'd be into it. I think the hardest part initially would be the um, <clears throat> would be the time period. Oh really? And that is and that is simply because I don't run a lot of time period games. We'll run like uh, fantasy, dark ages type of thing, like um, or twenties, thirties. But this is a time period we, as a group, haven't dabbled in a lot. Sure. And um, that would be that might actually be Brett's problem and not theirs. Oh. Now that I think about <laughs> it. It might be my problem and not theirs. Just to make sure, because I don't want to do something stupid. You know, like you know. Talk about telephones being ubiquitous. Talk about somebody being made of plastic or say, saying something asinine, you know, just, just kind of breaking the verisimilitude of the of the setting. By, um, but the way that they have um, 
the way it's laid out, I don't. I I think by following their example and their approach to building a mystery, I think that'd be hard to do. I think that would really help to lock my brain into the tone, the atmosphere, and everything. It would really. I think that would help focus me, so I wouldn't have that problem. That would help drive my crew to the same piece. I think that the thing my group might not push back on, but might go like, "Ugh, that's lame." Is the uh, is the castle build? I think that meta aspect may feel too um, may feel too uh, video game to them or something. I don't know. I have a feeling that they wouldn't like it. Now that said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pitch it to them like, oh yeah. And then there's, uh, how do I do this? I, I wouldn't pitch it to them as like, oh yeah, there's this thing, but I don't think you'd like it. I don't right, say that. Right, sure. That'd be stupid of me, right? I would be like, look, guys, here's the deal. If you do this, do do do, you get to build and add on to. It's got features and functions, and um, I think they may initially go, huh? Well, well, it's a Brett game. I'll give it a shot. Oh, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm very fortunate. My guys will play anything I want to try. But I, I mean, you are the one wielding into, the handgun at the table. <laughs> I usually am, <laughs> yes. Um, but I think the, um, I think once they got into it, man, and they. Uh, and they really saw the benefit and how things tied together. We've had safe houses and building castles and people have had different stuff like that, but it's always been sort of a tack on. Well, they usually right? don't do anything. In the old days of vampire, you would have a home where you buy a tavern or something, but it was never mechanically built into what it gave your character. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's usually not um it, it's not usually a game associated it, you could have a stronghold do something specific in game. Like I'm sure it's baked into here, man. Yeah. Well, that's the society, right. everything it's in the, it's between these two covers. It is a key. Yes. Component but unless you have like, you know, Colville's strongholds and followers, most of the I times do. you're kind of wanting to just, <laughs> that's kind of a goal and mm -hmm. it'll be fun because it's kind of a base of operations, but it doesn't give you boons because you have that resource. Yeah, that was, again, this is um, where I've I've said many times, I can do that. Yeah, I can. Yes. I can make that work, sure. right? I, I can do that. However, um, there's a certain point in time where I'm like, I just don't want to put the energy into it. Or if I do it, I know it'll be a little slapdash. Like I'll be making it up as I go, you know, type of thing where this is more of. So let, let me, for instance, the guys in my World of Darkness game, they came to use Lenny's character, West. At, he was renting a farm, and that came to be the place where every campaign, every session ended, was they went out to his farm, they had a bonfire, cooked food, and just sat around, ate, drank, and tried to figure out what the fuck was going on. Sometimes they had NPCs over, and that was just how the it ended. It was like a cool thing. That was a natural occurrence just happened to show up. Um, those are fun when they're just spontaneous, if you will, and they just... Uh, uh, happen you can take that same type of feeling though and i can bake it into the event right i can bake it right into this sucker and have that same type of feeling uh when you get back to the castle you sit down have that glass of sherry and think about things and all that good stuff so i don't know man there's the other thing that's really cool is the atmosphere and tone i think if i drive those components that would keep my players very happy because they love to have that. Um, I'm really immersed. 
I feel like I'm there. I want to, I want to care about it. I want to smell the mold and the must in the, in the library we just uncovered. I want to figure this out, right? I could literally see them uncovering something. And if I did it, and if I only did a uncovering of a new room in the mansion, right? In the castle, as a simple die roll or a simple expenditure of XP, that would rapidly become dumb for them. They'd be like, whatever. That's just check the box. If it became an event, like they spent some points, they really want to do something. And they spent the points and we narrated our way through it, which is with the intent. You narrate your way through the discovery. You describe, you talk about what's there. I could literally see my players hanging out in the, in the castle for weeks in game time, sorting through shit and just learning all sorts of things. Because if I if it's been set up correctly and they have their dark secrets, they have all these pieces and parts, there's reasons why they want to learn and why they want to dig more. I think there's a lot of stuff that's curated into the characters and into the setting and system that make all the parts interesting. And I don't know, other than telling that to them directly, saying, look, there's really cool stuff in here. Trust me, right? We're going to try this. It's all cooked in here. It'll be really fun. And I think by me being excited about it, they'll definitely want to give it a try. But I think that if I if I let any part of it go into a a simple die roll or, yeah, now you have a butterfly house and you get a plus two on your mental saves. Boring, 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 boring. Much more fun to have them like, huh, uncover it. Don't use the terms if you, now that you have the butterfly house or the kennel, you get a bonus on this particular thing. Keep that mechanic description to myself, if you will, and change it. So the characters uncover the thing. You're in there. You feel very peaceful. Does, does anyone here have a mental condition? Well, I do, says Dave. Well, you find it's gone. Really? Fuck. Wow. That's awesome. Neat. Next time someone gets a mental condition, I, you don't remind them of it, right? You let somebody, Lenny, go, hey, wait a minute. Last time Dave went to the X room. His mental condition. I'm going to go hang out in the, in the library. I'm going to go hang out in the botany chamber or whatever the case is, right? So I could see my group getting into it. And I think it's, um, it might well be the next thing I run just as something that's totally different, new flavor, and uh, just a different approach. I think it'd be, I could be pretty cool. Dude, it's a game where you're not rolling D20s. Yeah. And a lot of the dice are all player. It's a lot of player facing stuff. Yeah. Right? A lot of player facing stuff, which I really like. I'm really kind of grooving on it. I don't, I mean, anyway, I'm just, I, every time I pick up the book, I look it over, read through a little bit, and I get ready to run a game for the kids and stuff. I'm like, God damn, this is fun. This is really, really cool. The atmosphere is neat. Now, I'll tell you what, man, the, um, the monsters are no fucking joke. <laughs> they start, <laughs> NPCs start dying, horrible things happen, people lose their minds. It's, uh, it gets bad, you know? Yeah. Not to but mention, it's, uh, it's really, really not cool. to mention the person you meant or the uh, woman who who gives the characters the base of operations. She's she's confined. Yeah, she's alive. She just has checked herself into a mental right. institution. And uh, again, from a campaign perspective, and I haven't picked up any other um, books, but from a campaign perspective, there are like there's rivals. There's people who don't like the society that you're a part of and so forth. So there's some. There's some cool stuff there that from a campaign perspective, this isn't just a one shot or it could be a one shot easily. Um, 
but it's not like you you can't turn it into a long-term thing, which is a big thing for me because if I look at a, at a game or I read through a game, I go, huh, this is a lot of one-shots. This isn't uh, going to put up to six months of play type of thing. I want something that lasts where I can run this every Tuesday with my own group and uh, keep it rolling and have people interested and want to show up. I think if I did this right, they'd have a good time with it. I think, I think the way they did Alien be purposely saying, here is cinema – style and here is campaign style and then they specifically did that because of the differences that they have in their games and i don't think they wanted to go with alien with straight campaign play because it can make for a a great one shot so i think it was a purposeful no that makes sense just like what you're talking about right like i buy it i mean i think you can run basin as a one shot probably more apt than forbidden lands but it takes a little bit and you don't get the headquarters benefits or, you know, so. Yeah. There's, if you do that, there's enough pieces to your character, the dark secret, the, um, some of the longer term goals you right. have and some of those, those pieces, you're not going to no. touch on it. And when you see this stuff, it was much like when, again, when Craig ran, um, blades and dark for you and I in Frank house, when we went through it, I could see, okay. Yeah. If, if this were a campaign, there's more to unpack right. here. This character would have more reason not to do what I, not to just say, fuck it. I spend, I spend my stuff, right? Ah, I go all in. Why not? It's a one shot who gives a shit. But it was a campaign. I could definitely see wanting to husband some of your resources, really kind of care for it and make sure you didn't just go nutty, nutty with it. But, or in, in a basing game, I could see you pushing yourself a little bit further. You need to improve. You need to change or deal with the threats and so on. So I, again, overall, I'm very impressed. I'm just, I think I've said this before on the show, it's just from a book perspective, the book is just sexy as hell. They don't it's put out shit, cover feel man. To it. They really don't. Like no, there isn't anything feel, that. Good paper, good paper weight. It's just, it's I'm waiting nice. for really something to it. get some hype and then buy it and go, yeah, damn it. It's free link. This is shit. Like it just doesn't <laughs> happen with those Waiting guys. for them to stop being a shitty garage band and, and it, <laughs> turn it It may be a game, you know, that somebody doesn't jam on. Like, I understand that. Like, totally. Absolutely. Dude, I don't yeah, get yeah. Forbidden Lands. I don't, you know, I'm OSR. I don't get yeah. the hex crawl component. It seems very, meh. Yep. I get that. But if you bought it and you go through and, and pick up the books, their quality, you know, some may complain about like, well, it could be laid out a little bit better or organized better. But overall, they just, know, it's man. not, they're just not like you pick up and go, oh, this is completely you know, and even if it's like an organizational piece, it's it's really. I tell you, man, bad. I'm getting I'm getting to the point where um, I have my reading glasses on now, but I don't like super high glossy pages. Right. These are one. These are wonderful. They're not super high glossy. Yeah, they pages. did that. They're easy to read. Uh, Tales from the <laughs> Loop has similar page types, like like the the material okay. type. It is. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I would almost go to say. That Tales from the Loop is probably one of the games that are, um, like, like the packaging itself, like the the cover and the page types, mm-hmm. is probably like kind of standard average. Um, that's not a knock; it just is. Where everything, all the other stuff is is different because they'll have like the Vason book has like it's got the textured threaded cover, right? Yep. Where the it's Forbidden good. Lands and it's got ribbon, right? Mm-hmm. Same with the Forbidden Lands. It's got the the digestive size with 
something you'd put up with. Um, Decent cloth cover to right. it. Yep. So a little bit different. Anyways. Anyway, I, I like it. If people have questions on it, if you if you played and you enjoyed it, um, if you played it and didn't like it, that would be yep. interesting to hear too. We're not looking to say like horrible, nasty things about stuff, but if there was a piece of the game, I, I'm new to running it, but there's a piece of it that somebody found challenging. Um, one, to be interesting to hear, and two, did you figure out a way around that challenging thing? I don't, I've yet to encounter such a thing, but I, again, I'm a new game master to this particular system. So anyway interested to see what others think about it so very fun very fun if nothing else for me it was fun to read um and i very rarely find rpg rule books fun to read this was fun i had a good time with it i'm glad you like it brett thanks man shall we move on die roll two to four miscellaneous points of gaming and geekery we want to share with you this week um excuse me uh, let's see. The first one, just Vason. If you want to pick it up, we've got stuff that's like um, drive through Noble Knight, Amazon. Yeah. It's out there. So if you need to get your Vason fix, by all means, do that. So um, that's the first one. The only place I would uh, I would strongly suggest not ordering from is from Free League directly. Yeah, some people I like. Just had a, I just had a bad Sidewinder <laughs> like ordered something. And he got it in like less than eight days or less than four days. So they might have their proverbial shit together. Shake yeah, together I think now. They might. So, um, one thing also I figured since we're on the subject of Vason, the Reddit, they've got a Vason Reddit, so you could check out what they post there for resources. If that's something that'll help you out. Um, there's other there's other reviews and people talking about stuff on YouTube. I know there's actual plays out for there. Sure, for sure. And other things, but um, for those who listen to us, I just um, later to the game. I know it's been out for a little bit, but goddamn, is is really good. And then the last one, kind of wrap it up for die roll is ga- uh, gaz gaz baz and gaz baz and gaz from the, what would the smart party do podcast wrote an actual uh, Vason scenario and posted in the Discord, I think, today, which was crazy. Like, I don't oh, know nice. if you knew we, we were going to talk about it. But uh, so this is Midnight Hunt on drive through RPG, which is an, an, uh, an ancient tradition in the wilds of Sweden has become problematic as New Age mysticism uh, messes with old ways. And a city slicker huntsman sets his sights on one last expedition. Strange beasts stalk the night and villagers are going missing. Can the investigators resolve the mystery before perhaps they too disappear? So it's a self-contained one-shot mystery for Free League's Vason. So part of the community program that they have. So so Brett, if you get really like antsy, publish something, man, under there. They put the big old Free League stamp on there. In my copious free time, yeah. Right, man. But no, that's really cool. That's very cool. I didn't know they were doing that. You could that. do it that's on awesome. our off weeks. I could do it on our off have... weeks when I'm not laying, when I'm not putting floor in the basement. Well, yes. right. <laughs> your your basement's not never ending. Oh, exactly. <laughs> so, it feels like right. it. Anyway. Anyways. So, yeah, I think that's it for this week. Uh, Brett, what are we talking about next week? Or next time? So, Sean... I was thinking of doing something a little different. Um, I'd like you to, um, you can bring anywhere from one to two, but uh, make some 
first level five E characters. Bring one or two. One or two. What level? Um, first level. I said first, first level five E up to up yep. to two. Up, up okay. to two. Yep. That that's it. That's yeah. all I need to do. Uh, yeah, you uh, you come prepared for that, and I um, I've got a little something for you. It's got a little something for me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll try something. Different. <laughs> See how it works. What are you gonna have for the listeners? Oh well. What I'm going to do is I've got a little adventure oh. I want to run for Sean. So, yeah, the um, like you guys will see what we're planning here. The idea is um, Sean, I've been talking about this for a while, about different ways to um, to do this. And what we want to do is um, short, quick, punchy adventure. Right. But through the process is um, play the game and also attempt to uh, narrate thoughts and um, insights as we go through. So I think it will work. If it doesn't work, we'll probably never do it again. Um, <laughs> or we'll take a different crack at it. But the idea being is that, um, Sean, I've talked about this many times, is like, hey, when you're running a game or playing a game, sometimes shit crosses your mind and you're like, huh, wonder why that game master did that. Ooh, I wonder why the player did that. There's usually a reason. Right. And sometimes there's thoughts when the players do something wacky and the use the game master. Like, oh, Christ. Oh, Jesus. What did he do? Why did he do that type of thing? Um, so we want to take kind of go through go through those components and see if we can try to capture how we're doing stuff. Because um, for a number of years now, Sean, and I've been talking about what we do, how we do it and so forth. But sometimes you got to you got to show you got to actually do it, you know. Um, so I think Sean, I'm thinking we'll go theater of the mind. Maybe I'll sketch something out for you, but, um, shouldn't be too complicated. Does that work? I'm in that works. I, uh, you guys will, will, right. will peel back Br- Jet, uh, Brett's brain and <laughs> find out there's nothing in there. See how he, wow, this is a fast landscape. Of see nothing. how he, what his thought process is when he runs a game. We'll see how it I works. I promise I won't. Be that guy. I don't know if you can promise that. Don't promise. Yeah, me. I better not promise. <laughs> yeah, don't okay. promise me things like that. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, just, just, just one try. hour. Try We're to do one hour. Try. We'll try to do okay. an hour. We'll punch it as fast as we can. But hey, it is okay. what it is. It takes what it takes. A podcast, as one person once told me, Sean, needs to be as long as it needs to be, and nothing longer. Nothing longer or less. Well, right, fair. <laughs> So there we go. All right, sweet. Looking forward to that one. So fifth edition, we'll see two characters, level one. Level one, fifth God, edition. I got yep. this shit. Yeah. I, I know you. I'm going to source it. I'm going to crowdsource it. Oh, uh, so to be, oh, ooh, okay. If you're going that crazy, then I'm going to say um, core books only. Oh, that's fine. Core books only. That's cool. PHP sure. only. PHP sure. only. No, I don't want some. Oh, no, no. 15th party. Uber Paladin. I was thinking like a Goliath oh, with a halfling that rides him no. or something. No. Okay. No. Okay. <laughs> Core books. That's fine. I get it. All right. All right. Well, excellent. <laughs> cool, cool. We'll see how it goes. All right. Well, hey, thanks everybody for uh, tuning in live. If you are in the chat, thank you so much. We do see you. Thanks for, for showing up and uh, viewing Absolutely. our recording live. Otherwise, you can catch our this recording uh, at our audio flagship show at your podcatcher of choice just do a search for gaming and bs hit subscribe much appreciated uh otherwise i think that's it man um 
I'm Sean. This episode of Gaming in BS produced with help from the following BSers. Joe Swick, Curtis Takahashi, Aaron Relia, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Merkel Froelich, Cold School DM, Eileen Barnes, Corey Welch, Brandon Barnes, Josh Wallace, Chris Steele, Mark Tasaka, Finolf, Craig Huber, Brett Pazinski, Rich Wishon, Jason Hobbs, Jeff Seifert, Pure Mongrel, Dan LaValle, Brett, Roger Braslett, Chad Gleyman, CW Malacamp, Jim Fitzpatrick, Jared Rasher, Larry Hout, Ron Bishop, Old Scoozer Roleplaying, Ray Otis, Craig, Howard Bishop, Andy Hall, Stephen Dragonspawn, Laramie Wall, Robert Nemeth, Eric Salzweedle, Brian Kurtz, Angus, Eric Jeppesen, John Kayward, Corey Gonzalez, Mark Richmond, Niall Diamond, Jeff Goad, Remy Bilodeau, Brian Rumble, David F. Baylog, Eric Avia, Harrigan, Eric Tavola, H.N., Hoos Carl, Melissa Bishinsky, Adam Grotjohn, Mike Hess Jr., Ed Nyes, George Sedgwick, Rory Weston, Ghost GM, Jim Ingram, Daniel Garrett, Aaron Coleman, Eric Frankhouse Presents, The Duke in Purple, Phil McClory, Jay Plata, Isaiah Aries Christian, Larry Hollis, Colcago, Craig Shipman, Todd Sharp, Chris Shorb, Michael O'Holland, Orcus Dorcas, Wayne Peacock, Mike Coleman, Kevin Keneally, Zagrave, Farty McButterpants, Victor Wyatt, Andrew Lear, Yorkus Rex, Ziga Paradzik, Craig Chunglo, Eric Lunsford, Feeling Good Lewis, Ty Prunty, John Mahoney, Wet Nick Westbrook, Crystal Eggstead, Zalea, Hypnocode, Zwiefer, and Kelly Ness. Whew. Hey, everyone. If you're interested in getting more of Sean, me, I stream on Saturday mornings at 8 a.m. Central Time on HowToRPG.com. That's H-O-W-2-R-P-G.com. Stop by. If you don't catch it live, feel free to tune into it a little bit later. Check out the timestamps if you want to fast forward through the video to some of the main topics or some of the news. Would love to see you there. Thanks, BSers. This, this has, has been a Litterbox, Litterbox Studio production. production.